It is the 11 Dubcast with Johnny and Andy. I hope everybody's having a safe and safe and healthy summer so far. I know it's kind of difficult with lockdown and everything, and we're all kind of struggling through it. But hope everybody within the sound of our voices is handling things okay. And, and you know, you and yours are doing all right. Um, we could, I mean, you know, every week we kind of come in, and there isn't a whole lot of new news, really, because the situation is pretty much the same. And I, you know, there haven't been ultimate determinations about what sports look like. And we've, we talked about that last week a little bit, you know, when do they have to start making these decisions and whatnot? And I think, I think we're, as I said, in the next couple of weeks, we're it's all kind of coming to a head. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, there were some news items, some things that came up in the past week here, big 10, obviously, skewing all of their uh, out-of-conference games, going to a conference-only schedule should the season start. Uh, you had Stanford, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, getting rid of a lot of the varsity sports. And Thamel today basically saying, look, guys, we're, we're all kind of kidding ourselves here. This is you know, basically a done deal when it comes to the 2020 football season. It's, it's, it's over. So I just, with all of those things combined, Andy, how are you feeling right now? Uh, as per the uh, the upcoming football season, I think the th- I think the Thamel article probably put into words what a lot of us have been maybe thinking and un- unwilling to or afraid to say out loud that it feels less and less likely that we have a college football season. And and part of the reason that I have been somewhat optimistic that there would be a college football season is that there are billions of dollars on the line here Mm -hmm. for these athletic departments and that football, you know, is not only the goose that laid the golden egg, it's basically the only source of revenue that matters for your average power five or FBS level athletic department, not, not just football program, but athletic department. Football is what pays for everything else that happens in these athletic departments. So as you get closer and closer to the start of the season, and cases are not only going up, but going up significantly. Yeah. Uh, and you're seeing, you know, okay, the Ivy League says we're not doing fall sports. Okay, Big Ten moves to we're only doing conference games. What, what the Tamil article pointed out is that for these Power Five conferences, what you're in essence doing is kicking the can down the road. You don't want to pull the plug because right. you're trying to figure out how can I save some revenue? Uh, and what are the options that let me do that? Is it doing a conference-only schedule? Okay, maybe. Is it doing a split schedule? Then we'll um, open up the possibility, hey, maybe you play uh, half the season in 2020 and half the season in this spring uh, football season that's been kind of flirted around about. I I think most of us feel like spring ball is not really a thing that anybody wants to do just because asking players to play in spring and then for the draft eligible players come back and play an NFL season. But what really struck me about the Thamel uh, article was there, there was an excerpt here and I, I want to read it because I thought this was, this was powerful. So with major league soccer struggling in a supposed bubble, major league baseball officials botching the testing portion of its return and an increasing amount of pessimism about the prospect of an NFL season, only a medical miracle can save college football this fall. you know, it's both pretty damning and pretty accurate, right? So all of these pro sports leagues where you conceivably have a lot more control over the environment and also, by the way, a lot fewer players involved. You're talking about, you know, hundreds of players in the case of 
MLS, MLB, uh, NFL versus you know, what tens of thousands of what is there like 13,000 FBS players, something along those lines. You know, it's yeah. a much larger pool of, of bodies that you have to try to keep healthy. Uh, and that's not even counting coaches, staffs, officials, and so on and so forth. And they're all struggling with it. All of them. Right. Even, you know, it, we, we, there were stories out uh, early this week with the bubble in Orlando for the NBA uh, you know, you've already had players breaking quarantine to get a friggin' pizza for crying out loud, you know? So, <laughs> uh, Fantas- by the way, fantastic story. One of my absolute favorite stories that comes out of all this is just how ridiculous that is. Um, and the fact that they're doing it in Florida, which of course is seeing one of the largest surges in cases in the entire world, really. Um, yeah, yeah, what yeah, ended I, up being what ended up seeming like the perfect place to do it because of of the facilities that you have in sure. Orlando to be able to do it. You know, you're you're in what feels like ground zero uh, for the second wave. It's not the second wave, by the way. It's just continuation of the first wave. But right. it, you know that that's now the biggest hot spot. Um, and as all these major states, you know, California is rolling back its reopening because they've seen uh, a surge in new cases and and so on and so forth. So people are coming to grips with the reality that most of these states opened too soon. People didn't take it seriously enough on the fringes um that that we needed to continue to social distance and wear masks and not just hang the mission accomplished banner and go on and now there are repercussions and one of those might be no college football right and i I think what bothers me about how all of this has kind of played out is that so much of the planning and what people wanted to do and and how they thought of sports in the fall was is really aspirational it didn't actually have a basis in fact it was really but we'll get it taken care of by June, right? We'll figure it out by June. And it's like, there was nothing to indicate that that was happening. People were reopening bars and everything like that. And everybody was saying this too early. All the medical experts were saying, this is not going to work. There's going to be a bounce. You see the cases going down a little bit. They're going to shoot right back up. That's exactly what happened. But in the meantime, all of these major sports leagues and decision makers were still kind of going forward with the idea that, Hey, this we will have this licked. And that's what really bothered me is that, you know, when you tell people that everything's going to be okay and you give them a plan that, you know, you're, you're telling people, this is it, this is what we're going to do. Then they're going to start acting as if it's done. They don't have to continue to do the things that they need to do to ensure that a football season or a baseball season or these other seasons will have to happen because it, well, shoot, we, we got it figured out. It's all taken care of. And like I said, when you have this aspirational idea, it, it just makes people believe that there's not any more work to be done. And and so, you know, I want there to be a college football season so badly because as we've said before, Ohio State is really primed to be an incredible team the next time that they play. Um, but what's frustrating is that it, it feels like people counted their eggs before they hatched. Now they're they're operating as if there is no, you know, there's no problem here. We just take care of it. And and that's, that's really just not the case. So I don't know. In, in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see more and more leagues decide that this is just not a feasible thing to do in the fall. Uh, spring football is completely out of the question. That's definitely, I don't think, I think that's a non-starter. Um, Urban Meyer pushed back really hard against that. And he's, he's absolutely right. And by the way, who, if, if you're a, NFL draft eligible player. Why the hell would you even think about playing football? 
if if they moved it to the spring. Why would Trevor Lawrence decide that all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, this is for the for the team for Dabo, I'm going to do it. Like, of course not. That's insane. Uh, so I don't know, man. I it's it's a crappy situation. I think it's going to suck when they actually come to terms with what the situation is right now, um, and then what it's going to be in the future. And I just you know. <laughs> I'm kind of resigned to it. And I, I hope there's some kind of miracle where everybody starts wearing their masks, but I'm with Gene Smith and a lot of these other guys in Thamel. When I say that, I just, I'm not optimistic at this point. So. Yeah. So. The other, the other bad, you know, signs of, of bad news on the horizon. So, you know, the, the, the Patriot league uh, right. canceling its season, um, which, and I can't remember who popped this piece, but there was a, there was a fun editor. I think it was in one of the the New Jersey, you know, like Rutgers covering outlets. Um, columnist said the Big Ten should should hit up the service academies, you know, the uh, Army, Navy, and, uh, and and those two in specific, and invite them to kind of the way Notre Dame is an adjunct to the ACC uh, should <laughs> yeah. invite the service academies for this season uh, to participate in, in in fall sports. Not so much for football, which people I'm sure are like, oh God, we don't want to play the. We don't want to play the triple option twice in the seat, but uh, you look at all the other fall sports that are impacted by, um, you know, only having a conference season and, and what teams are there for them to play in the geographic footprint and so on and so forth. You know, there are some potentially fun things that could come out of this. If it's, if football happens in some way, you know, we talked about um, maybe, if the big 10 plays a 10 game conference schedule, you know, you, there's this idea that you got to have 10 games. So do you play another team twice or do you play an extra crossover? Probably not an extra crossover with the West. If we're concerned about limiting travel. So could Ohio state play a home and home against that team up North? Hmm. That's intriguing. Or, huh. Could we see an Ohio state team, you know, win? potentially what uh, 11 uh, conference games. If you play a 10 conference game schedule and then have, have a big 10 championship game at the end, you know, like there could be some really interesting things that could come out of one of these weird one-off type seasons. But I with... actually, honestly, I hope when they schedule this out and, and football does happen that it's literally just Ohio state playing, you know, Indiana, Purdue, <laughs> Northwestern, Rutgers, Maryland like I want two-thirds of the season just to be absolutely dire just like every other season <laughs> because that would be the thing everybody would be super like okay we got through this crap football's here we're gonna be hyped and then Ohio State ends up playing you know five games that they win by 40 points anyway yes <laughs> and like god damn it why <laughs> why did we do this why? what was this what, what purpose did this serve this isn't you know 12 per or 12 Penn State and Michigan and Wisconsin games um, I look if they played uh Michigan multiple times in a season, I think that would be pretty dope and, and kick ass. And especially if you know you schedule it to where you have like one early season Michigan tilt and then yeah, one towards the end of the season, I think that would be a lot of fun. Game um, one and game 10, sign me up, you know. I'm, yeah, that I'm, would, I'm, I'm there for it, like do honestly, that. That's a thing, yeah. No, honestly, if you're gonna have a season that's as wacky and weird as this one would be then I 100% endorse them doing something like that because you're never really, I mean, the chances of you having something similar to this again, are pretty damn low. So I, you know, I, I go for the gusto, be as weird as you want to be. If you're going to actually have football, let's just take this thing out to its logical conclusion and, and, you know, really make it as weird as humanly possible because that's what college football is all about. 
Um, so I, I hope, I hope in some way they're able to get on the field and, you know, you talk about Stanford and, and cutting programs and all these other things. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a sad time in college sports because it really is everybody standing on the precipice. And when they, when they cancel, if they cancel college football, that I think is going to be a huge wake up call in a lot of ways um, to college sports, because they're, you know, we've talked about this before as well. There's a lot of athletic departments that are just operating in a really unsustainable way. And I think this entire event is going to have repercussions um, for a long, long time, years and years and years. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting times. I hope things get better quickly. Um, and we kind of figure this thing out, wear your damn masks, please. For the love of God, I, I am with, you know, I I'm glad that they're doing the social media thing where they've got the players, you know, saying, I want a season and hashtags and all that stuff. Uh, I agree. I also want a season and I am perfectly willing to, you know, put on a mask if that'll help ensure that. So I hope we all do that. Yeah. And I want to come back to Stanford a minute because I think that that bears um, spending a little bit more time on the other the other piece of data that came out this week. I think that when you when you talk about this pandemic um, having a long tail with regard to college athletics, you're you're spot on. Uh, There was a report this week. I think it was um, USDA got the power five conferences tax records for 2009 fiscal year. Mm -hmm. So 2.9 billion with a b 2.9 billion dollars in revenue for the power five conferences now when you when you do the math on this it was really interesting to look at how it broke down uh, because of that um 80 of that 2.9 billion dollar revenue comes from television contracts specific to football yeah you know i mean it's it's huge and and oh by the way um, that that revenue could have could could be even higher, um, you know, as this thing goes forward. Like if COVID hadn't happened, right? Two point nine billion dollars was two thousand nineteen. That number is going up, right? College football uh, continues to be a major money maker, and that that's all changing now. When you looked at the data between the conferences, I thought this was interesting to get get down in. The Big Ten brought in seven hundred eighty one and a half million dollars, uh, which was you know a huge chunk. Uh, the second most profitable or I shouldn't say profitable, um, uh, conference that dragged in the most revenue was the sec. This probably doesn't surprise anyone at 720.6 million. I was a little bit surprised that, uh, the PAC 12 actually came in third at 530.4 million, uh, big 10, uh, the, um, ACC was 455.4 million. And then the Big 12 was the laggard at $439 million. So no surprise that the Big 10 was the bell cow. But if you Still put those... Masses, massive amounts of money, though, right? I mean, this, Oh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's huge, you know, huge. And so when you put the, the Big the 10 and the SEC together... $400 million. I mean, this is this is pretty significant. Yeah, well, that's that's what kind of... I, I think it's really interesting to look at the relative dynamics, right? Cause you would have, I probably would have guessed that the PAC 12 was the one or ACC, I suppose, I suppose I would have assumed was the bottom, but I was surprised the PAC 12 came in third because all we hear is that the PAC 12 was really struggled with coming up with a, a television product, you know, like big 10 network is the leader in that regard. SEC right. network is a thing, but they've struggled with the PAC 12 network and TV rights. And, and you just have had this sense that maybe the PAC 12 was a step behind, but they're not 
they're not as far behind as you know the Big Twelve. Now the Big Twelve is only ten teams, so well, so that's you know it's a smaller conference, and it's also population wise. I would guess of the Power Five, probably the smallest in terms of you know how many people they're actually reaching with their you know networks and whatnot, and and when they're broadcasted, how many you know people are actually going to be tuning in. That probably has a huge impact on how they're because you're you're looking at the Texas schools as being the lion's share of the population in that conference for sure. And California is bigger than I mean, it's you know by by a large margin too, by like twenty million people. So it's yeah, to me, it's interesting because a lot of these contracts are going to be renegotiated the next couple of years. Oh yeah. Um, particularly the big tens contract. We we've talked, you know, we've, we've talked about how, you know, Delaney on the, on the way out, it's kind of like, okay, you know, all these problems, not my issue anymore. And now you've got to figure out how to, you know, reconcile um, a new, I guess, landscape for college sports, particularly in how they're broadcasted. So, I don't know, man. I I don't know what the repercussions is. It, it could help the conferences. Paradoxically, you could see this and say, okay, well, we want sports so badly. ESPN needs live sports. They might be willing to pay out the nose for it, right? They might be able to say, look, whatever we need to do to get eyeballs back on our channel, we're going to pay it. Um, but by that same token, you go, well, hey, we don't know if something else might happen. It might be a liability issue. Maybe we don't want to pay as much as we used to. And, you know, put that on our ledger. So I think everybody's going to be paying a lot more attention attention to their force majeure clauses in these contracts. (laughs) Yeah. What can I get out of? You know, that's I mean, it's it's huge. Yeah. Because because you just don't know. Absolutely. Because that's that's yeah, that's going to be huge. How much is going to be guaranteed? How much can we make sure that, you know, we, we get in ad revenue? How much can we guarantee that we're going to have X amount of, you know, sports games that are broadcasted, you know, on our channels and whatnot, it's, this is going to completely reshape the landscape and it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be anything that we're used to. I really do think there's going to be some dramatic changes and um, I don't know. Some of those changes could be really good and interesting and some of them could really, really suck. So. Yeah, the, the data clearly showed uh, the, the, the tax return data at um, USA Today uh, pride out of these conferences clearly showed. So the SEC and, and Big Ten between them had about fifty-one and a half percent of the revenue of all five power conferences. So although that you know that that stands to reason, those are the two conferences we talk the most about. But I had to right. get since you mentioned Dilbert's boss, Big Jim Delaney. I had to. Uh, I always think I always thought Jim Delaney looked like Dilbert's <laughs> boss. Maybe I'm the only one. Um, but I got to get a give you a shout out to Big Jim pulling in ten point three million dollars in uh, calendar year. 2018 and, and yeah. earned, earned every nickel right you know <laughs> at uh, 780 million but it's it's mind-boggling the amount of dollars that go into this thing um that leads me to the discussion of stanford which we've alluded to a couple times so the long tail of this thing uh, starting to show up you had seen some you had seen some cancellations of programs so old dominion got rid of wrestling that was one of the first major programs to to cut a sport that was way back it feels like a hundred years ago now was was sometime in april or may uc got rid of its soccer program men's soccer program and so you started to see some of these schools that that knew were going to be in a precarious situation because of covid cancellation of college football notwithstanding 
So now Stanford announced um, late last week they were cutting 11 sports out of the, I want to say, how many? They were fielding 36 different varsity sports prior to the cut. Um, Their sports include men's and women's fencing, field hockey, lightweight rowing, men's rowing, co-ed and women's sailing, squash, synchronized swimming, men's volleyball, and wrestling. Now, you might be saying you didn't even know some of those things were sports or you really don't care about squash as a a varsity sport. And and I'll grant you may have a point. Some of these sports weren't even um, or aren't even sanctioned by the NCAA. But here's why you as an Ohio State fan should care about this. The only school in the country at the FBS level that fields more varsity sports than Stanford? Any guesses? Ohio State (laughs) at 37. The athletic program in the country that currently sponsors the most varsity sports is is our own beloved university. If if Stanford, with I think like a $29 billion endowment, uh, if I remember right, can't keep all of those programs afloat in the COVID economy, what does that, what does that mean for Ohio state moving forward? Yeah. And that's, so Stanford's an interesting, Stanford's an interesting example and an interesting case study because it's a private university. So as a result, we don't know exactly how they fund their athletic department. It could be have massive student subsidies. Um, It could have really sweetheart deals with, you know, whatever media conglomerates or empires or whatever they decide to cook up um i don't i want to know where stanford's getting their money frankly and i I know they have an endowment and whatnot that usually does not filter down to the athletic department and an institution like stanford but like i want to know how the hell they were sponsoring that many varsity sports we know ohio state does it ohio state does it because they've got roughly 200 million dollars in revenue and they spend all of it to fund those 37 varsity sports that you mentioned. Stanford isn't Ohio state. I mean, the last time that they had significant success in any of the, you know, two major sports, basketball or uh, football was about a decade ago. Um, and granted, you could talk about like, you know, some of the other like women's basketball, whatever, but that, and that's fine, but that those aren't making a ton of money for them. So I'm really curious about how that worked out and where their finances were going into all of this happening. Ohio State, you know, Gene Smith does not want to be the dude to have to cut a bunch of varsity sports, and he said as much, and I don't think he will. I think he'll try to hold out on that as long as he possibly can. But I, <laughs> if a school like Ohio State is going to have funding issues, I don't know how any other college with anything you know with an athletic department approaching anything like ohio states is going to be able to maintain what they're doing and you know it all depends on what the decisions are being made you know and 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 which programs universities say okay well that's expendable that's we don't need that you know and that's going to be a different determination for every college university but um i don't know man to me it feels like a lot of these athletic departments are already on the precipice they're going to be pushed over by this anyway, but it will be fascinating to see, in my opinion, how many of these programs and athletic departments were already there, right? And then they'll, instead of saying, okay, well, it's because of COVID-19, it's going to be because we had mismanaged our funds so badly that we were just barely hanging on anyway mm-hmm. and looking for 
increasing subsidies from students and universities. Like if you look at Rutgers, for example, Rutgers should not have any sports, really. Their athletic department has been so badly mismanaged for so long. It's insane that they're able to have any varsity sports, much less, you know, however many that they they sponsor. So I, I this is going to be really, in my opinion, this is going to tell us a lot about these schools and these athletic departments um, because of the fact that I think so many of them are already in dire straits going into this. Yeah. And, and it's a challenging, it's a challenging thing. You uh, you know, and I probably did a disservice to, by mentioning Stanford's in, endowment, which is, is huge. Um, and I, I did look this up as 20, 27.7 billion dollar endowment, but you were exactly right. That's not athletic department money. That's, that's university right. endowment. Uh, and, and so there's a school of thought that says, you know, many of these college sports programs, athletic departments, uh, spend every dime they make because they're not for profit enterprises. And if okay, Ohio State's, you know, brings in $180 million a year in revenue, $200 million a year in revenue, and you don't spend all that money, you know, you're you're a not for profit business, right? So mm-hmm. you what what are you doing banking all these dollars? So okay, well, we've been engaged in the facilities arms race and every facility in the athletic campus is is new or in the state of being improved or modernized or rebuilt even something like the woody hayes athletic center which you know feels like we just redid two days ago you know is is constantly being improved because we're we're trying to improve impress recruits and so on and so forth But but you also there's a school of thought that says we should have been taking some of that money and and creating endowments for these individual sports you know so if you're a fan of let's say wrestling is one of the sports that got cut in Stanford or you're an, a contributor or a supporter. Maybe you should have been pushing the athletic um, advancement department to be endowing your, your coaching position, you know, to be endowing uh, a certain number of scholarships because scholarships, that's pretty easy to, to, to see people often love to give to scholarships and so on. But if your program individually, your specific sport doesn't have an endowment behind it, then you're, you're kind of on the table where once you get, you know, into that position where your program is endowed, you can look at the department and say, Hey, no, we're paying our bills. Right. And, and then you're not on the table, but ultimately what's going to happen. These departments are going to look and say, okay, uh, what are the number of programs that we have to fill to meet our NCAA obligations? Okay. Then any programs beyond that um, men's programs probably going to be on the table first relative to title nine, so, you know, if you're in a non-revenue sport, mostly the Olympic sports, I would say if you're um, one of these sports, like I'll say synchronized swimming as an example, that isn't um, officially sanctioned by NCAA, maybe you ought to be sweating. If you're a men's sport that is a non-revenue Olympic type sport, um, you know, it's kind of beyond that cap uh, on, on the Title IX side, then you're, you're probably sweating bullets. You know, there's a lot of different folks in athletics because this business model where it's basically all dependent on football TV contracts. Uh, how sustainable is that moving forward? We've been talking about this to some extent as the cable TV model changes and cord cutters and all that sort of thing. But the ESPNs of the world just keep spending more money um, yeah. for these TV contracts. And so COVID may force the reckoning sooner than cord cutting would have, because it felt like there was a time here over the last couple of years where it seemed like cord cutting might force the issue. 
and it's going to be a pandemic that does it instead, but the end result might be similar. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of times schools were looking for prestige when they create, I mean, a football program is the most expensive program to maintain and run out of all the other sports, the, the staff involved, the amount of players, the travel involved, the facilities that you need. It, it's just a massive investment of time and resources. And <laughs> the problem is, and we've talked about this and we've, we've said this before, but the problem is, is that you have a situation where athletic departments rely on the financial uh, support of football to sustain everything else that they do. But that also means that you're utterly inflexible. Like you have to have football. And if you aren't making money and you can't sustain what you're doing with football, well, you can't just cut football and then keep everything else the same because football, whatever it was bringing in is probably going to be the lion's share of the money that you're making. So you bring in football, you build up the athletic department, you add a bunch of varsity sports you can't just get rid of football and keep everything else. You're going to have to get rid of football and then keep, and then get rid of pretty much everything else that it helps sustain, which is going to be devastating for some schools. And, and for Stanford, this might just be step one of many steps of what they're going to try to do to figure out exactly how to get revenue in their athletic department, how to make sure it's sustainable. And it's not going to be pretty in a lot of places. And I, I do think at, at some point, Ohio state is going to, um, it's going to have to have a similar reckoning with its budget and its finances. And you look at the amount of money that's spent just on, you know, recruiting trips, right? These private plans for coaches and it's, it's a massive amount of money. It's, it's really, really crazy. And you've got to be able to justify that expense. Ohio state can do that. Ohio state doesn't have a problem doing that because the football team is so successful and popular. Other schools, let's say you're Tennessee, maybe you're not getting the same kind of returns, or maybe you're a team that was once really good, but maybe not so good anymore, and you still have to kind of keep up with the Joneses in that respect. You know, it's it's not going to be a sustainable prospect, and that's the problem. So. And, and to put this into context, too, for the numbers, so Stanford's um, budget deficit, this is even, you know, before we take into account canceling a football season, yeah. Stanford was projecting a $12 million deficit for fiscal 2021. Okay. So $12 million deficit. Uh, David Shaw, head football coach at Stanford, that, that's about three years of his salary. So, right. you know, three years of the head football coach's salary um, to balance that <laughs> took cutting 11 sports, which affected something like 240 student athletes and 22 coaches. So, you know, that's insane. Just, yeah. That's just, just, to put, insane. just to put this all into perspective. Now, I don't think, you know, people are ready to say, well, we need to stop paying the head football coach four to $7 million a year. Right. Uh, since that's the, the, you know, the cash cow, but and and of course this gets caught back up in the ongoing discussion you and I've had about and we're still not you know paying the players who are now taking on the risk of becoming infected with a disease like COVID if they go out and play a football season this year and so on and so forth. So right. good good yeah, times, uplifting discussions. Yeah, it's there's a lot going on. Uh, it's there's a lot to be determined, obviously. And if, if you can, as you said at the beginning of this, if you can salvage some of it, they're going to attempt to do that because they want to get revenue any way that they can. And I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Look, if, if they play 
I mean, I guess I do kind of have a problem if they just end up playing like an exhibition game between Ohio State and Michigan. That's that's useless and can just get somebody hurt for, you know, a very small amount of profit. But, you know, if, if they can um, have even a truncated season, I think financially they will try to do that because they'll they'll see it as something that's worth it. Um, but who knows? I mean, again, you know, if Thamel's right, that's it all becomes a moot point because there's not going to be any any sports period. Um, in college uh, at the collegiate level so uh so we want to remind you the 11 dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com uh dry goods.11warriors.com shirts hat stickers all kinds of great stuff and uh you know ask us anything we want to keep sending in those questions i got a question this week from bill who uh, wants my opinion actually on the musical hamilton i have not yet seen hamilton but i promise bill that I will watch it this week and I will report back next time. I've, I've listened to some of the songs and it's very much like, you know, what people who go to Broadway and let, watch Broadway shows, like what they assume rap sounds like. Uh, <laughs> it's not really <laughs> what I would consider rap exactly, but uh, I cannot deny that there's, it's, it's pretty damn entertaining. And uh, so what I've heard is promising, but I got to watch the thing before I can give you a full report. So I will do that next week. I want to ask you a question here, Andy. And I want to, let's say we don't really have, you know, the ideal college football experience this fall. I want to engage in some, you know, some mindful playfulness, I guess. I want to, I want to build an imaginary world in which we can live in the absence of football. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Let's say that you are building your perfect college football program. Okay. You cannot use anything from Ohio state or related to Ohio state to do this because we did, we just all, you know, we love the shoe. We love, you know, Ryan day, blah, blah, blah. Can't do that. So I'm going to ask you to tell me out of all of college football, uh, how would you build your perfect program? What is your going to, What's your ideal stadium, ideal coach, fight song, uniforms, all kinds of stuff. So I want to get into that. And I just want to ask you, so now that I've set the table a little bit, let's start with the most important aspect of it. Maybe I think the part that is most iconic for people, which is if you were building your perfect college football program, what would be the stadium that you would use? Which stadium would you steal and say, this is, this is how I start. You're going right for the jugular right up front. It's, important. I, it's an important I, decision. It's, it's an important it's, decision. It's, it's huge. Um, and because there are some good ones too, you know, and I'm thinking of ones that like are on my bucket list of places to go visit because you know that there are these, you know, crazy intimidating environments. So you think about places like Camp Randall Stadium and jump around. You think about the whiteout at, uh, at, at Happy Valley. You think about uh, Death well, Valley, okay. the Bayou Bengals. Like there's, so you know, to, that's, that's where my fair. head immediately goes to is like these, you know, home field advantages. Right. When I think but about we'll killer get to that stadiums. Aspect in a second. I, just, clear, just the house itself. Just the edifice, just the house itself, just the building itself. We'll get to some of that other stuff in a second, but just the building itself, just the stadium. This is so, I mean, God, it's now, so hard because you told you me I can't the pick the horseshoe because that's well. the, mm-hmm. I, I would say um, I, I love the Rose Bowl in, in Pasadena. I, 
I think that the surrounding environment, the iconic nature of the building, the the tradition of that building, I, I'm, I might have to go with Rose Bowl. Okay, I think that's a an excellent choice because I mean, just the you know the setting of the sun on the mountain. That's I mean, that gets me every time when they show that on television. Beautiful. It it just it's so iconic. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. I think that's an excellent choice. I thought about I can't remember B, the name of BYU Stadium, but they, you know when they show it out in Provo, it's just yeah, same kind of deal, right? Incredible, incredible. Backdrop. That would actually probably be my I would say uh, second choice because that's you know like I said, every time they show it, just completely iconic, very beautiful. I would actually choose Husky Stadium out in Washington. And I didn't know anything about Washington until Ohio State played him in the early 2000s. And Beanie Wells, like, stiff-armed a guy straight into hell. And it was <laughs> um, actually stiff-armed him, like, 20 yards into his own bench, which was really funny. But regardless, that to me where you're, like, you're right on, like, you know, the water and you've got the pine trees and the mountains off in the distance. Uh, Husky Stadium to me is just... That is where I would want to live, I guess. Well, yeah, there you are go. combined to a stadium. So Husky Stadium is my choice for that. I think that would be really great. Now, nice. in that same vein, and this is getting to kind of what you were talking about earlier, what would be a fan tradition that you would want to steal? So jump around, the wide out, um, show me a Scotsman with Utah State. What, what what is something that you would want to import? What is what is a tradition that you would want to take that gets the fans going? Yeah, I mean it's I, it's got to be the whiteout. My hats off to the people at Penn State. I mean, you, you, this is how you know it's the real deal. Like we've tried to rip it off with the the blackout and the black uniforms at Ohio State, yeah. right? Like they say, you know, flat imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? So there you go. It's and and they they consistently pull it off. It's consistently one of the toughest home field environments. You know, when you're playing a whiteout game, you you know it's it's prime time. Something important on the line. They're not just trotting that tradition out for a, you know sisters of the blessed poor. It's it's the right. real deal. And and those folks consistently make it make it a thing. I just I'm I admire that. It's really cool. It gets the people going. No, I, I, the whiteout is pretty incredible. And I will say, as you said, the, the blackout at Ohio State, I was super skeptical about. I was too. And when they first did it, I was actually in the stadium and I'm like, nobody's going to wear black. You can't get Ohio State fans to do anything together. <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's a giant mob of people. They don't listen to take direction from anybody. Uh, but they did. Everybody showed up in black. And I was like, if this is even, you know, half of what it's like at Penn state when they do the whiteout, I mean, this, that's pretty kick-ass. That's pretty cool. I got to check that out. Um, so I, I whiteout's a great choice. I really love jump around. It is such a weird, unique kind of tradition that they have at Wisconsin. And I really don't like Wisconsin fans or Wisconsin football that much in general, but I think jump around is pretty incredible. And the fact that they're really just kind of, have a total disregard for their own safety and lives and are perfectly willing to, you know, potentially annihilate <laughs> their own stadium by jumping in it is, uh, is pretty hilarious to me. So I, I, I got to go jump around because it, it is so much fun to watch it. And then when the players on the sidelines get into it, I, I it's, it's awesome. I like yeah, absolutely. Very that. cool. I'm a big fan of that. All right. So we've established, we've got the stadium, we've got kind of like a, a fan interaction kind of thing going on. 
Uh, let's go to the other really, really super important part of this aesthetically, which is the uniforms. Which uniforms are you stealing? Um, there are a couple different ways that I could go on this, and, and it depends on if you're going to talk about the traditional kit or some of the, the alt uniforms. Because it's, And so I'm going to give my uh, honorable mention answer to the service academies. Okay. Um, because I think, particularly when they get ready to play um, the army Navy game and, and the last, it feels like 10 years, each, each Academy has rolled out some military themed, you know, there's always some, um, tradition there, there are called back to in the army cases, you know, there've been some specific units Navy. I think they were, you know, specific ships or different things. Right. And those, they're always cool. They're, they're always, cool. always cool. They're always cool. But, but you're talking about all time, uh, iconic uniforms, yeah, you know, Penn State's got an iconic uniform. That team up north has an iconic uniform that you 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 see it and you say, "Man, that's that's what a college football uniform should look Michigan's like." Uniform? No, 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 no. I'm saying, but those are the kind of uniforms that, like, when you see it, you know, that says that's college football. Like, so you're I, looking I, I for something. I, you want something iconic. You I want do. something. That's that's, that's my bias. In. Yeah, okay. for sure. Right. Like, because I can't get behind Oregon and the flavor of the week. You sure. know, that like some people really get get their jollies on the, the alts like that, where it's, Oh, that's so cool. It's I'm, I'm not a teen, so that doesn't do it for me. So I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to give this one to Alabama because okay. I think they're that old school look, you know, the number on the side of the helmet, it's, it's basic, it's classic. But when you look at that, you say, you know what, that is a sharp looking football player. It's not about flash. It's not about sizzle. It's about the stake. That's, okay. that's what it's all about. No, I can I can get with that. I, it's it's not the direction I would go, but I, I do completely understand. You would want your team to be instantly recognizable. If somebody was saying, "Okay, think of a football team," you want that uniform to pop up immediately, right? That that's got to be a big part of it. I I absolutely think that's a good way to go. However, I will go completely in the opposite direction and say that if I'm picking a uniform for my team, it's down to two teams. I want it to be the Rainbow Warriors out of Hawaii or Tulane. With the fighting mean green wave, I want either one of those. If you've seen Tulane's uniforms, by the way, recently, oh my gosh, just I'm doing the chef kiss thing because it's just beautiful. I love it. Uh, but man, the Rainbow I Warriors. I love their helmet with the actual oh, you yeah. know, fighting wave guy, yeah. you know, whatever you call that little dude. Yes. Those helmets are pretty slick. They are. I so I you know what I'll have to go with the the old school Rainbow Warriors, the ones that they want uh, wore when they came to Ohio State. Yes. Those are just, I mean, I know they're iconic in a different way. And so be like, ah, put a rainbow in a uniform. That's not cool. That's not badass. Like, yeah, it is. You're stupid. It's great. Um, yeah, I think I'd have to go that route. I think that'd and, be pretty And bad. while you're giving love to Hawaii, you know, this is one I probably didn't think of when we were talking about traditions. Um, but but doing the haka uh, at oh midfield, you know, yeah. that's legit. And, and yeah. every program can't do that, right? You know, if, no. if, if, if you Nebraska know, tries to roll that out, it's no, that's not a thing. But for Hawaii, <laughs> it, you know, it fits, it's great, and it's fun. I love it. I love it. I don't know. I don't know what a Cornhusker Hawk is. Like. <laughs> they just pull out a bunch of like corn stalks and just start munching on them or they, you know, kind of like rub bellies. I don't know. That'd be weird. Um, okay. So we've got, we've got that settled. We got those down. Now we got to go to the next stage of this, which is mascot. So, and it could be any mascot, live person in a weird suit, whatever. What what mascot would you choose? For e- easy for me. Favorite favorite mascot. I I geek out on this every time. It's uh, University of Southern California Trojans. 
Okay. And and when Traveler takes the field and he kind of throws the 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 rudest into the the turf, I I just geek out about that every time. I think it's super cool. And it, it's equestrian. You know, it's it, dude. Dude just looks hardcore. I'm all about it. All right. I, that's I I think that is also a really good choice. I am a huge sucker for live mascots, and I love Ralphie out of Colorado. I want a live yeah. bison running onto the field and potentially injuring or maiming people who, who dared to try to tame this wild American beast. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely want Ralphie. Or and, and I have continually tried to convince the stunning Mrs. Vance and the little tyke that we should have bison on our farm in Southern Ohio. I have not won <laughs> that debate, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on board with that choice. I'm traveler was the first thing that pops to my mind, but yours is a worthy choice, my friend, because I'm with you. That's a, you know, half ton of cow flesh with just the big old shoulders and rangy looking it's great yeah, taking the, yeah, it is. It's fantastic. It's absolutely great. They're just gigantic. I don't know, gigantic, dumb, mindless animals that really just want to run people over. And, and really, isn't that the essence of, of football anyway? Um, so that's kind of the, the window dressing, if you will. I mean, it's not. It's all important. But I want to know more specifically now about how you're going to kind of develop the program. So let's let's get to the nitty gritty. Which coach are you picking to coach your team? Uh, since I, since I can't choose Ryan day, obviously, and, and let's give that caveat. Cause I think he's the real deal and, and legit and is going to shake things up. Um, and, and since this is kind of a one-off exercise, I'm going to go straight to the bread and butter and say, I know people love to hate on Nick Saban, but my man delivers results. And I kind of respect that mindless cyborg of, of death <laughs> look that he has. And it's, you know, the, the, there's that whole thing about the program or, you know, or whatever you want the process. That's what he says. I mean, that's legit, right? I mean, Urban Meyer dresses it up and it's the four to six A to B and so on and so forth, but it's all about the process. And yeah. if you do these things, this will happen, right? If, right? if you, you college athlete who thinks you are God's gift to the sport, there were a thousand before you and a thousand after you. But if you listen to me and do what I say in this manner, you will win football games and probably go play in the National Football League. Yeah, it's, definitely. It, it's proven. It kind of a pops thing, you know, in the in college football. You know, Greg Popovich had a the San Antonio Spurs. It, it's 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 kind of the same attitude, I think, a little bit, where it's like we've we've got a way to to approach this. It's not necessarily a system, but it's a mentality and and how we're going to be and and how we're going to respect each other and all that stuff. And yeah, I got to go with Saban. I mean, it a lot of people hate Saban because he wins so much. I don't really know what else about him is particularly low loathsome compared to maybe his peers. I mean, he's complained about dumb things like the hurry up yeah. offense and whatnot, yeah. but yeah. then he, then he immediately adopted it once he realized that it was kicking his ass. So, you know, uh, Saban would be pretty high up there. I can't get on board Dabo. I just, no. the dude, just I hate that dude. Too awful. And I, Fire I passion of 10,000 burning suns. Yeah. I, I think Mario Cristobal is, is pretty good up there in Oregon. Um, yeah, I, I guess I got to go to Saban, and, and I feel bad about saying that. He's going to be, you know, he's getting up there in age, but he's just too damn good. So yeah, I mean, I if you ask me if it was somebody I had to pick for the next ten years, I'm I might hedge a little um, there because you know, okay, is Saban going to coach till he's a hundred? I maybe. I mean, he might. He, you know, yeah. if there's a guy in college football today, I could see being the next Bill Snyder. It it might be 
Nick Saban because I just don't know what else he's going to do. Like Nick's not going to go be in the booth, right? Like you're not picking, you're not picturing Herbie and Saban hanging out on Monday night football or something like that's not, (laughs) I don't see that as being his, he's going to coach until he dies. Yeah. Is is how I envision that going. (laughs) Um, Okay. So last thing here then, and this is, this is going to be kind of the meat and potatoes of what you want your program to be. We, we debate and discuss all the time about, you know, which program produces the best quarterbacks and best running backs and best defensive backs. And a place like Ohio state has a legitimate claim to several positional groups and, and being the best in the country. But for the purpose of this conversation, I want to just ask you which of those positional groups, would you want your uh, hypothetical program to be blank you? So do you want to be DBU? Do you want to be QBU, running back, university? Which one would you want to be known for nationally as like, you know, this is the school that dominates in this particular area? It, it It's not sexy, uh, but, it, it, but it feels like results. It's got to be line play, uh, and and, yeah. and and I would say both sides of the ball. You know, it's not sexy. Everybody wants to be DBU. Everybody wants to be wide receiver. You you know, the skill positions get all the love. But when you look at the teams that consistently win titles, it's the teams that can knock the holy living piss out of you on both sides of the ball. Yep. And it starts in the trenches. So you know, make make me big eater you, and, and I'm probably a happy <laughs> guy. And and I mean, I'll, I, I will. My caveat will be: I grant you that if that's all it took, Wisconsin would be winning more national titles. Iowa right. would be winning more national titles because those programs can can put out the road graders with the best of them. But it, but it all starts from there. And, and I think you see a lot of programs that are really great at the skill positions and have all this cachet and swagger, uh, but, but it starts up front. And that's, that for me is you, you, build, you build around that, that core competency of being able to control the line and move the ball yeah i actually i 100 agree with you on that one i want to be big ugly you i, I want to be you know i want to be known for the the guys in the trenches who are doing the dirty work because that I, you're absolutely correct i mean you have to be proficient at that to have a good football team if you can be considered the best in the country at doing that then hell yeah i'm, I'm all about that so yeah i think i'm 100 all about that i think that would be great yeah, and, and I mean, you mentioned quarterback play, and it's like, okay, that seems like one where you'd say, oh, it's got to be quarterback play. But if I look, you know, it was interesting, ESPN, uh, you know, here a year or two ago, this might have been just 2019, um, was going through one of their semi-regularly um, scheduled position U articles. And and if you look at the, the programs they mentioned at quarterback U, USC, you know, barely edges out Oklahoma. Uh, which barely edges out Oregon. Okay. Well, okay. How many national titles have those three teams won in the past 20 years? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, 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 You know, not a lot. And, and, and so then, you know, you go to the other skill positions. Okay. Running backs. Um, All right here. No. Okay. Alabama was ESPN's running back. You, Hey, you know, that's a pretty important position, but but what did Mark Ingram, Derrick Henry, what did those guys have going for them? Alabama also has one of the best offensive line programs. In oh, the country, that's probably so, one of the most underrated aspects of that tear that Alabama went on. They had yeah. by far the best offensive line in college football for several years, years running. It wasn't even close. Yeah, they were destroying people, yes. and anybody could have run. You know, not anybody, but you didn't have to be Derrick Henry to run behind those lines. It helps. It makes you obviously much more proficient. Gets you a lot more yards. Um, 
but yeah, they were, they were sick. That was a really, really talented group of individuals for a long time. And um, yeah, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being known as that. There's nothing wrong with winning a bunch of games either. So, all right, bonus, bonus time this is the last one here. Okay. So this one means nothing. And for this simulation, for these purposes, you can assume that the individuals that you're thinking about are just going to hypothetically come from whichever, you know, program that you're creating. So I want you to tell me which media personality commentator, whoever does your program claim, who do you want to pick as the guy to say like, well, Kirk Herbstreit's, you know, Ohio state, blah, blah, blah. Which, which person do you want to be the focal point for this program that you have created? As an uh, alumnus or, you know, a famous player or something like that. And again, yeah. you can pick anybody. We'll just assume that instead of where they went to school, they've now that gone. They went to, they went to Andy, <laughs> Andy, Andy University or yeah, yeah. to play. Yeah, I like that. That's fun. Uh, I, you know, the one who, if I go, if I go legacy, um, I'm still a sucker for Keith Jackson, rest his soul. Um, but current, current crop of media, um, Joel Klatt's been my guy. And I suppose that's probably because he, um, uh, was was pretty high on the Buckeyes last year. Sure. It was it was a breath of fresh air. But I would say I like Klatt's analysis. Uh, you know, I like his commentary. It it doesn't feel like the over the top hyperbole that you get from some. Um, and while you can tell that, okay, maybe his employer has a vested interest in Big Ten programs, so he's doing a pretty good job of of propping those guys up in the course, yeah. social media space. I be, I believe him and I take him at face value. I don't think he's saying things that um, uh, he doesn't really believe. So yeah, I'm I'm a stand for Joel Klatt. So that's probably that's probably who I'll roll with. I gotta say I, I'm gonna go with Joel's uh, frequent collaborator and Gus Johnson because I want yeah. <laughs> a lot of people. I'm tired of Gus Johnson. No, you're no. not. Shut up. No, you're not. I, I am. I, no, I will never get tired of Gus Johnson. There are two people who have opinions about Gus Johnson. People who love him and have always loved him, and people who have always hated him and don't like you know his shtick and how he does things. That's fine if you don't like Gus Johnson. I, I get it. It's not for everybody. His style and all that, but. Don't tell me that you're getting sick of him or like, oh, it's played out. No, it's not. He brings an enthusiasm to games that is just absolutely infectious. I absolutely love it. And if he were related to my favorite program, I don't see how I could ever be sad or upset about that. Because yeah, he's I, just, I, I just have to make one like, adjustment to what you said. This, I think you were close. There are two kinds of people in this world. People who love Gus Johnson and people who are wrong. Like that's, that's, <laughs> that's, right. that's the line of demarcation, right. Johnny. <laughs> Correct. I agree with that. So I, I'm glad we were able to put together, uh, you know, pieces, do a little Igor action, right? Where we're finding the Abbey normal uh, selections of college football and then putting together this horrible Frankenstein that we've created. But I look, that's what's so great about college football, particularly. There's so many there's such a wide variety of venues and play styles and coaches and commentators. Like there's just so much variety. There's so much stuff going on that's different and unique. And that's what I absolutely love about it. And I hope to God we get to see some of it in the next few months. So put on your damn masks so that hopefully this thing actually ends up happening. Um, because I, I really, really need it. It's <laughs> I'm really suffering through some sports withdrawals right now. Yes. And Ohio State's going to let me down. Or, excuse me, Cincinnati's going to let me down. I know it. So, um, hopefully the Blue Jackets, you know, once that gets started, they can kind of sneak in. Yes. Annoyed, and everybody's healthy. So, that's that'll be, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. 
Um, crew, the crew thumped and the crew kicked Cincinnati the, crap, the other yeah, night. They the thumped out of them. So there's 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 light there's light there. We just got to get to the point where we can have college football as well. So hopefully that happens, and you know if and when it does, then we'll be right here to talk about it. So until next week, I am Johnny. I'm Andy, and we'll see you next time.